Okay, good morning, everybody. I've decided to take a slightly different approach to our text this morning than what I usually do. Today I would like to highlight four separate words taken from chapters 46 to 48. In order to see if we can penetrate more deeply the meaning of each and see how the Lord desires them to impact our lives. Is that okay? Do you want to shut me off too? Or? <laughs> Okay. 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 That is now in number three. Yes. Can you hear? Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this will be good for the recording. No. Is is it a, well anyway? It's still by the. No. There we go. Yeah. Is okay. All right, here are the four words. (laughs) Carry, peace, joy, and glory. These are the ones we want to explore from our text. And I'd like to see how each of these first three seems to enfold the others and how they fall under the umbrella of God's glory. It's our study guide that points out that the promise of glory ends both chapters meaning chapters 45 and 46. And your translation may have another word, but it is actually the word glory. And in 45 we read, In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And in 46 I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And looking ahead to 51.19, we read that a time is coming when the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. So glory figures largely in God's message to his people all through Isaiah, if we have ears to hear. Throughout scripture and in our passage today are the words call and listen. It is our Lord who calls us to listen. For example, we read in 46.3 and in 48.1 that the Lord says, Listen to me, O house of Israel, O house of Jacob. 46.12, he says, Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted. 48.12, he says, Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. And then in 48.16, his words are, Come near me and listen. The Lord is asking us to draw close. If necessary, he says, read my lips. And what are we to hear? I believe it falls along the lines that if we live out our lives here and now to the glory of God, and if we glory in God and not in ourselves or anything or anyone else, because we understand it is the purpose for which God has made us and is, in fact, and our proclaimed future, we will experience peace and joy, not just in the life to come, but even in this life, regardless of our circumstances. So let's see if we can gain a better understanding about all this from these four words. Our first word is carry. 
And when we think of that word, let's also think of the words weight and gravity. The two online definitions I found for the word carry are one, to support and move someone or something from one place to another. And two, to support the weight of. In chapter 46, the word carry is mentioned four times. Twice the word carry refers to the idols that are carried on the shoulders of their worshipers or on the backs of the beasts of burden. The images or idols, we are told, are burdensome. Some are made of silver and gold and are heavy, weighty, you could say. They make whoever bears them weary. And the idols, the Lord says, will join their worshipers in exile. Though a worshiper may cry out to an idol for help, it is unmoved. In fact, it cannot move from where it has been placed unless the one who bows down to it moves it. The idol cannot save the worshiper from his troubles, 46.7. In contrast, the two other uses of the word carry are addressed to all who remain of the house of Israel. And they are a reminder from the Lord himself that it is he who has made them, not vice versa, and it is he who has carried them since their birth. And he says it is he the Lord who will carry and sustain them even in their old age and gray hairs. And I wonder why that's my favorite verse. <laughs> so the question Isaiah asks is, do you carry your religion, your faith, or does your faith carry you? What are the things that most weigh on us in our life? What idols do we sometimes construct and then laboriously drag around until they weary us? And what un met needs in our life are candidates for producing idols. Donna, in her excellent talk last time, had us reflect on these same questions. And perhaps more subtly, what are some of the quite reasonable things having to do with our Christian faith that can slip into becoming burdens when they get tangled up in our busy lives? When we just find we have no energy for scripture reading, for family, or neighbor, because we've made our own effort our own strength, and idol. It can happen if we're not vigilant. And the warning is that if we let it become habitual, it will wear us down, and then we will not be able to glorify God. We know that Christ has promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, Matthew 11.30, and that is because he is the son of the Lord of whom Isaiah speaks whose caring power is more than sufficient for us. We are not to strap our cares onto our own shoulders and bend under the weight. The Lord has been carrying us all along, even if we sometimes fail to recognize it. He is our creator, and he is prepared to carry us from beginning to end to the end of our days. And it's that comfort thing again. God wants to give us his strength to support us, to sustain us, to lift us, as we in turn lift him in praise. We are never in any spiritual sense to carry our own weight. We know from science that the weight of an object is the force of gravity on it, on the object. Simone Vale wrote a book called Gravity and Grace in which she comments that just as the power of the sun 
is the only force in the natural universe that causes a plant to grow against gravity, so the grace of God is the only force in the spiritual universe that causes a person to grow against the gravity of their own ego. I thought that was wonderful. I'm going to read that again. Read it again. Just as the power of the sun is the only force in the natural universe that causes a plant to grow against gravity, so the grace of God is the only force in the spiritual universe that causes a person to grow against the gravity of their own ego. So God wants to lift us up out of our own egotistical sin-wrought burdens. That's the point. The other day I watched the documentary on the life of Fred Rogers, and many of you may have done that. It's very good, yes. And I heard Fred Rogers use the expression, the gravity of love, in regard to the children for whom he so greatly cared. And I thought those could be our father's words to us, his children, because it is our father's specific gravity for us, his own gravity of both grace and love that actually lifts us rather than keeps us down. C.S. Lewis called this gravity the weight of glory in his essay of the same title. I believe he got those words from 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If you haven't read Lewis's essay, I'd strongly recommend it. In it, Lewis asks, if we are made for heaven, how then should we live? Indeed. Isaiah asked that same question. Lewis knew that the Hebrew word kavod, for weight, primarily means glory. So the weight of God's glory that he carries us with is full of his love and his grace. And even in the times when we don't take it to heart, 46.8, he declares his purpose will stand, verse 10. What he has planned, he will do, verse 11. Salvation will not be delayed, verse 13. And he will carry us home. I am God, says the Lord, and there is no other and I will not yield my glory to another. And before we, before we leave this word carry, while I was preparing this, um, a friend of mine out of the blue sent me this wonderful picture, which I will pass around. I know you can't see it, but if you want to see it, you see it afterwards. But what it is, and a photographer that took this picture noticed that a lioness was walking through the desert savanna and her little cub was lagging behind and struggling to keep up in the terrible heat. And an elephant came along. And the elephant picked the baby cub up and carried it to a watering hole. So the elephant is walking by the side of the lioness carrying the baby. And I thought, wow, (laughs) if that isn't a good metaphor for Carrie, and I thought, you know, uh, one of the ways that the Lord carries us is by us carrying one another. And sometimes we are carried by and asked to carry someone we might not have ever thought of or that, you know, seemed unlikely. 
But I think if the animals in the wild can do it, we can do it. Okay, in chapter 47 and at the end of 48, we find our next word, peace. You know, peace is the opposite of disease, dis-ease. Dis expresses reversal. Sin is a spiritual disease. It reverses ease, and it yields no true peace or ease. Also in 47, uh, Isaiah addresses Babylon, a place and name that throughout Scripture has become synonymous with a godless society, a place where the Tower of Babel, written about in Genesis 11, exemplified humankind at its most proud. We do not honor you, God. We can do without you. We are safe and strong and can rule the world. The Babylon Isaiah addresses is the same location as Babel and has the exact same character. The people are wicked, defined by selfishness. They are pleasure-loving, concerned with profit-making, and cruel. On top of it, Babylon makes claim to deity in 47.8. I am, and there is none besides me, they say. That's the same claim that the Lord makes. For all this and for them, Isaiah writes, they will have no peace, no rest. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. 48.22 In 47, Isaiah expounds on several wicked things for which God will send an appropriate punishment and will not grant peace. One would be an attitude of superiority. In 47, 1 to 4, Babylon is pictured as a pampered princess, as our study guide puts it, who will be stripped naked and will perform tasks of a slave. Another is cruelty, 47, 6 and 7. To my people you showed no mercy, referring to how Babylon treated the Israelites in exile. A third one would be sensuality. 47.8 refers to wanton behavior, which has the sense of being sexually unrestrained. Fourth one, sorcery and superstition. 47.9, 12, and 13 list things like potent spells, magic spells, astrologers, etc. Babylon, in those ways, thought it was quite a religious city. And a fifth one would be a false sense of security. 40, that's mentioned several times, 47, 8, 10, and 11. The people had no fear of death or possible impending disaster. Babylon was the seat of science and culture, and the people were guided mostly by human wisdom and philosophy. Then in 48, uh, Isaiah addresses God's people and how they sinned against him. Their behavior is what got them into Babylon and is what has robbed them of their peace. One sin would be their hypocrisy in worship. They had the right words, but the wrong behavior, 48.1. Another is their resistance to correction and their refusal to listen. They were just like Babylon's idols, useless to talk to, 48.4 and 5. Another is their rebellious attitude and an attitude that had dominated them from early days, 48, 7, and 8. Nevertheless, in 48, 9 to 22, the Lord says he will free them. And why? 
the Lord explains it in verse 11. For my own sake. says it again. For my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God's reputation is at stake. He is a covenant God. He gave his name to his people. So what did he need to do? He refined them. He refined his people in the furnace of Babylon to purify them. 48.10. And my NIV note says the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile were a similar furnace. The Lord will not only free his people, he will tell them new things, 48.6, hidden things, about to be revealed concerning his chosen ally who will carry out his purpose against Babylon. And he reminds the people that he is the creator God and all creation does his bidding, verse 13. And then in verses 17 to 19, the Lord speaks of what he has always wanted for his people. Peace. Peace like a river. Righteousness like the waves of the sea. This is abundant and overflowing righteousness, as an NIV note puts it. This is the peace that passes all understanding that Jesus Christ brings. Philippians 4, 7. This is the fruit of righteousness that will be peace and the effect of righteousness that will be quiet and confidence forever for a redeemed people. And that was written in what we studied earlier in Isaiah 32, 17. But what must happen first? The people must flee Babylon, verse 20, and never return. It's a command. Never returning in the, is the sense means unless God's people remember why God had to chastise them in the first place and what it is that makes for peace, they, we, will go right back into exile again. I found a note I made years ago from an author named Alan Redpath. I don't know if anybody knows him. And it says, at some point and in some issue, there has been obstinacy. At some place, there has been the unbending will and the stubborn mind which would not yield and insisted on holding on to the ruins of life in some situation. But now, it is goodbye to Babylon and hello to peace and righteousness. So for me, it means abandoning the baggage we brought into exile and leaving with only our repentant selves carried on the shoulders of our shepherd king, Jesus Christ, all the way home. And you know, not all the Jews chose to leave Babylon. They became so involved in trade and commerce, they refused to go. And the Lord says to them, if only you had paid attention to my commands, if only. Friends, I think this is why we so need Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So now for just a few thoughts on joy and glory. Isaiah says in 48, 20, and 21 that when his people flee Babylon, 
they are to do so with shouts of joy and to proclaim to the ends of the earth that the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Not only that, he provided water for them all the way home through the desert. He struck the rock and the water gushed out. And we know the greater hidden news is that the rock is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was struck for us, but invites us to drink from him along the way. So another byproduct of letting the Lord carry us is not only peace, but also joy. What do we read in the Western Catechism? It is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Further along in Isaiah, we will read, and these words were given with a smirk in 66.5, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. That is actually a taunt given by the enemies of God. But it proves the point. The glory of God is the supreme joy of his people and even their enemies know it. That's how John Piper put it in a wonderful article he wrote for a national conference in 2006 under the heading, The the Supremacy of Christ and Joy in a Postmodern World. That we should have joy in knowing we are rescued from Babylon and carried home by our Lord should not surprise us. For our Lord Jesus says in John 17, 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And Piper points out in his article that Jesus' own greatest joy is in the glory of his Father. He writes, This joy is Jesus' joy in doing the will of his Father. Yes, but I think the source of the joy is deeper than Jesus' doing the Father's will. It is seeing the Father's glory and being glorified with the Father. The perfect obedience of the Son is sustained by the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, 2. And that joy was his return to the Father. So when Jesus says in verse 13 that he wants his joy to be fulfilled in us, he means that he wants the joy he has in his Father to be in us so that we would enjoy the Father the way he does. The enjoyment of God above all else is the deepest way that God's glory is reflected back to him. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I will not yield my glory to another. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. So the Lord is saying to us through Isaiah, if you listen to me and turn and flee Babylon, your places of exile, I will carry you home in peace and in great joy, evident for all to see and hear, and I will be your glory. So let us just all pray this brief but important prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, be glorified in me today.